Can I add my welcome to that that's already been given? Great to have you both here in the room for you joining us at home as well. Extra welcome to you guys. And if you're here this morning or watching online for the first time, you're really, really welcome. We hope that you find it home, welcome, uh, and a part of what we're doing here at Riverside. Uh, today, we're coming to the end of this series that we've been looking at for the, quite a few months now through this book of James. Some ancient wisdom that literally billions of people have read through throughout history and still in the world today, helping them make sense of life and what it looks like to live in the light of all that Jesus has done. So you're welcome uh, with us this morning for the end of this series. Recently in a national newspaper, The Independent, there was a fascinating article in which various commentators, journalists, celebrities were invited to write a letter to people who were living a hundred years in the future. So what would you want to say to people that were 100 years in the future, looking back at this time? What would you want to say about this time? Fascinating question. And one commentator, Emma Barnett, who hosts uh, Radio 4's Women's Hour and lots of other things, she said these words that are on the screen. Fascinating. The cult of me is proving very intoxicating and it's a fast road to nowhere good. Beautiful phrase. The cult of me. Regardless of whether you're somebody who you call yourself a Christian or not, or you're a person of faith, a lot of people, I think, echo her comments that there's something about now that just doesn't seem quite right. There's stuff that we're uneasy about, unsettling things in our society, things going on in the world that set us a little on ease. It doesn't sit well. People seem weary, both of culture now, weary of stuff in our own lives, weary of people around them. Certainly if you jump onto social media for any length of time, a lot of criticism on there, isn't there? Well, as we get to the end of this book of James, James has three things that he wants to say that are helpful for how we might live. Three things for followers of Jesus to live distinctive, different lives to our culture around so that we might have a distinctive and an attractive community. That people around us so love what's going on in the community of Christ, in the church, that they want in. And many of you will look through history and know that often that hasn't been the case. And so there's three practices, very simple practices, that followers of Jesus can commit to and that are present in the church. And so if you're somebody that's not a follower of Jesus, you're not sure they're Christian, there's three things that go on in church that I want to suggest you might want to be a part of. So let's jump in. The first is this in the reading that we just had read to us. We want to be the kind of community where people pray with each other. I'm not going to dwell on this for very long. A couple of weeks ago on Palm Sunday at Tally Ho, Nathaniel unpacked this more fully. So do have a look back on YouTube for that. But did you notice in the reading that we read, the power of prayer, healing, prayer changes things with those words, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. A few weeks ago, some of us in leadership were at a conference. I had somebody that I have never met before came up to me and prayed for me, and prayed for me just generally. And then as he was praying, felt that he wanted to pray something specific for me that was something that God had been showing me the week previously about my own personal life. 
He spoke into it with a clarity that he would not have known what it meant, that was utterly incredible. And so part of the beauty of being church is we get an opportunity to pray with each other. Now, do you notice something? Do you notice the phrase at the end? The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. You can join in at home if you want, because nobody else can see you, unless there's others in the room with you. But I wonder if you'd say, I'm a righteous person, would you put your hand up? Don't. But would you put your hand up? Most of us, I'm guessing, would probably not say we're a righteous person. And so therefore, when we see things like this about church, we're kind of thrown into it. Or maybe, therefore, because I know I've got all this stuff in my life, maybe my prayers aren't powerful and effective. And you may not say that out loud, but deep down, every time we pray and it doesn't go our way, or we don't think it goes our way, or circumstances don't change in the way that we hope they would, we wonder if it's actually to do with the way we pray. Friends, I want to encourage you this morning. Paul says these words in a book in the Bible called Romans, Romans chapter 3. This is what it says. He's talking about how people used to kind of get to God by doing all the good things, by obeying the law. That's how they used to think that was the right way to live for God. But he says this, but now apart from the law, in other words, distinct from the law, not involving the law, those things you've got to do right, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets, that's the Old Testament testify, they point to. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. So friends, the question is, am I righteous? Is not based on whether you think you're doing good things or not. It's simply on the basis of whether we're trusting in the one who died in our place, Jesus Christ. And so friends, if you are a follower of Jesus, you say, yes, with all of your questions, I clinging on to you, Jesus. Friends, you are righteous. And therefore, friends, your prayers are powerful and effective. Be free. And I get a sense that within our community and across the UK and beyond, there is a sort of groundswell, an uptick of people wanting to really go for it in prayer on our knees, saying, Lord, I'm tired. I need you. That's why our prayer gatherings once a month that we have here, they're so special. Can I encourage you, if you don't come along, please do. They're beautiful, beautiful times. It's great to pray together with the team who pray before each Sunday morning service. There's a real uptick. Can I encourage you to join that as well? Or wherever you are, whatever your life looks like, to pray because God uses those prayers for his glory. So, prayer. Let's be the kind of community that prays for each other. And as I simply say, that's why every Sunday morning, in our gatherings, we offer prayer ministry. And there's going to be a beautiful time after this service to pray for each other. And if you're somebody, I know what it's like, you think, I'd love somebody to pray for. I'm not going to go to the back because that shows I really need prayer. Friends, we all need prayer. We should be running to the back. I need prayer. And whether you're somebody who calls yourself a Christian, whether it's the first time or not, there's an opportunity for somebody to simply stand with you, not in a weird way, just in a non-anxious way and just say, Lord, please meet this person. You'd have to say even what it is you want prayer for standing with you so join in after the service so that's the first thing pray for each other that's the kind of community we are and we long to grow in the second thing is this that James says to be the kind of community that confesses to each other oh boy (laughs) 
May I ask you, where do you go with your stuff? We've all got it. Where do we go with it? Who do you tell, if anyone? Listen again to what James says, verse 15 and 16. If they've sinned, they'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Confession. Now, some Christian traditions emphasize this a lot more than we perhaps do. But it's so healthy to have a culture in which we fess up about our stuff. Now, I don't know if you've heard of the drinks manufacturer Innocent, you know, Innocent drinks, Innocent smoothies and all that sort of stuff. They're running an advertising campaign at the moment. Here it is. This was on social media two days ago. We asked the people we work with to share their deepest, darkest secrets. Please feel free to support slash chastise whoever you agree slash disagree with. We're sure they'll be chuffed or unchuffed to hear it. Brilliant. So they're opening the opportunity for people in their organization, their company, to confess their sins to the world. How do you think that gone? Well, here is what some of them have confessed. Here they are on the screen. don't know if you can read them. I'll read them to you. First one says, confession, I've never seen Harry Potter. Next one, confession, I always BCC your line manager in emails. <laughs> Next one. She says this, I think, confession, I think all cheese tastes the same. Anyone else confess that this morning? No one dare admit that, no. Next guy, my confession, I put in fake meetings so that I can take a longer lunch break. (laughs) Anyone ever done that? Come on. One, two, I see those hands. Here's another and these last two. Uh, I wash my bed sheets once a month. Some of us are going, once a month? (laughs) Once a year? (laughs) And then the final one, I like this one. She's brave enough to say it. Wouldn't this be great? I deliberately leave my laptop in the office when I know there's a train strike the next day. (laughs) It's good, isn't it? We like those because they're thought, they're funny, but That's not the real stuff, is it? If we're honest. James knows, as Christians have experienced for thousands of years, there is a huge power in confessing your sin to another person that you trust and you know will deal well with it. So why don't we confess our sins? Well, I wonder if sometimes we don't because we're worried about the other person's response. We think we're the only ones, don't we? And might I suggest there's two directions to confess. One is to God. And if you're here and you know there's stuff and God's not on your radar, but you know that if if there is a God and you had to stand before that God, uh, there's some questions you'd ask, but there's also some stuff that you you might want to say sorry for. Confessing it to God, as we've seen, in the light of all that Jesus has done. 1 John in the New Testament says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will 
forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That's good news. Friends, that's the same for you today, whether or not you've ever stepped foot in church in your life. But there's also a power in confessing to other people. Listen to this quote from C.S. Lewis. I love this quote. We can have it on the screen. Friendship is born at that moment when one person says to another, what? You too? I thought I was the only one. Confession of sins builds community. Now, there is wisdom in choosing who you do that to and with, friends. And how specific you are. I am very thankful that I have a prayer triplet that we have walked together for years. Two other guys, both in church leadership, that we meet physically and also online. And we do this stuff. They know my stuff. I know their stuff. Who knows your stuff, friends? Quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer campaigned to get rid of Hitler. He was a pastor that felt that as his part of being followed to Jesus, he needed to work hard with others to oppose the Nazi regime. He says this, powerful quote, I love it. Why is it that it is often easier for us to confess our sins to God than it is to a brother? Now he's talking in a world where male dominated language, but you know what he means. God is holy and sinless, he says. He's a just judge of evil and the enemy of all disobedient <laughs> disobedience. But a brother is sinful as we are. He knows from his own experience the dark night of secret sin. Why should we not find it easier to go to a brother than to God? But if we do, we must ask ourselves whether we have not often been deceiving ourselves with confession of sin. Who can give us the certainty of forgiveness? God gives us that certainty through our brother and sister. They break the circle of self-deception. A person who confesses his sin in the presence of another knows that they're no longer alone with themselves. He experiences the presence of God in the reality of the other person. Isn't that beautiful? So may I gently ask, who knows your stuff? And also, are you the kind of person that other people could fess up to? Let's be that kind of community, friends. So there's a third thing. The third thing that James wants to highlight. The kind of community that is willing to correct each other. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. This gets tricky, doesn't it? So many stories. You don't have to look far of well-meaning followers of Jesus or churches with particular structures that have just squashed and flattened and critiqued and domineered people, not showing the freedom and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. James isn't talking about that. What he's talking about is helping people discover life. Listen again, verse 19. The last two words of Jesus' letter. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Let's be the kind of culture that is willing to tell the truth to each other and also willing to hear the truth 
about ourselves. Last, a couple of weeks ago, last week, my parents were getting rid of some of their stuff. And they said to me, Tim, would you like this? My school reports from Chosen Hill School in Gloucestershire. And I looked at these reports and we spent a lot of time laughing. Here is what some of my reports said. You might pick up a common theme. A willing worker, but he must make more effort to learn the work thoroughly. Timothy finds some of the work difficult, apparently. A concerted effort is needed on homework and accuracy. Timothy must put more effort into his work if he's to reach his full potential. I do get the impression at times that Tim thinks he'll get by with the minimum. (laughs) (laughs) But so as to prove the point, one teacher clearly got by with the minimum where her comment was this, quite good. (laughs) Now, reading back now, that's quite funny. But how do we respond when people tell us the truth? There's a great proverb in the Old Testament that says this, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. I wonder if we've got this mixed up in our culture. We surround ourselves in our little social media bubble with people who always say what we want to hear rather than what we might need to hear. May I ask you, friends, who are the people in your life that you have given specific, explicit permission to tell the truth about you? And who are the people that you have said, I want to be that person and I will be willing to speak the truth because I love you? Now, here's here's some training we did as a staff team as I come to a close. This is what I think often happens. So I don't hope you can see this. Imagine you've got two people here. Person one. And person one has got a thing that they struggle with with person two. Okay? What happens commonly? Often, rather than going to that person, person then goes down here to someone else to tell that person. And sometimes, even more than one person. (laughs) And sometimes it's seeking wisdom to know how to tell that person. But often, if we're honest, it's because this person doesn't want to be willing to confront that person and tell the truth. Now imagine if you're that person, and there's something that's been working out, and then you suddenly discover that three other people are also now involved in this process. You're not going to hear it very well, are you? And I think what James is simply saying, let's be the people who are willing to both give and hear feedback that we might not want to hear. Uh, Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Have we confused the idea about feeling good about ourselves with being loved? Because might I suggest that the solution to this is the good news of Jesus? Because right at the heart of the good news of Jesus, what do we discover? We discover two main things. We discover we need a saviour. We've all got stuff, friends. 
Look around you. Everybody's got stuff. Look at in your home. Everybody's got stuff. And so therefore there is always stuff. Always. So we discover that. But also we discover that has no bearing on how loved we are. Because the God of the universe loves us so much that he stepped in for us. So therefore we don't need to get defensive. We can say, thank you. I've got stuff I want to grow. But also we can show the same kind of love to others saying, my feedback to you is not on the basis of how I feel about you. I love you. Let's continue walking together. Our relationship is strong. Let's keep going. So what James is simply saying is, friends, let's be a countercultural community that models a different way to the world. Where people can be safe and loved and therefore able to grow into their fullness. Wouldn't that be beautiful? And it starts, friends, with you and me. So let's be that kind of community with very difficult, dif- difficult relationships. Different relationships. <laughs> as we come to the end of this series, I want to share a little heart as we come to an end. We're going to pray. We're going to respond together, wrapping it all up. I grew up in the church. I didn't literally grow up in the church. I grew up in a house, but you know what I mean. I've been in church all my life. When I was young, there was a big emphasis on the kind of church being in the world, but not of it. And then as I got to sort of teenage years, all those years ago, the kind of emphasis shifted a little bit to being much more over the last two to three decades of basically trying to be relevant to our society, attractive, engaging. And God was clearly doing something in the 70s and 80s, Riverside's birthed out of that. Beautiful. But I wonder if we're in this moment now where part of the calling for followers of Jesus is to be willing to stand out and be distinct. To say I'm living for the one, not the acclaim of the many. To be willing to be people who are praying in secret on our knees, regardless of whether anyone else sees. To be walking with the most difficult people and showing them love as we walk with them side by side. To be the kind of church that people say, that's a community that I want to be part of. Where I'm loved, I'm helped to grow, I'm prayed for, and I'm able to deal with my stuff. Are we up for it? Let's be that kind of distinct community.